Hello and welcome to The Gist. I'm your host, Chris Vetrano, here every week to break down all the things that are happening in pop culture and interviewing the people that make it pop. Last week, we dove deep into the career of pop singer Kelly Clarkson with our friends from the Miss Into podcast. If you haven't checked out that episode, do so later. Um, But today's guest is a fitting and incredible follow-up. She entered our lives when she became the third runner-up of season two of American Idol. And since then, she's used her silky smooth vocals to deliver pop, dance, Christmas, lullabies, and R&B jams that we just can't get enough of. Her new Best Of album is out later this year, and her new single drops August 18th. I can't wait to get all the details from her. Please welcome to The Gist, the eighth world wonder herself, Kimberly Locke. (laughs) You get to write all of my intros. Okay, perfect. (laughs) Well, uh, Kimberly, thank you so much for being here. This is such an honor. I'm such a fan. Uh, Thank you. Back in the idle days, as I started, um, we did an episode deep diving Kelly Clarkson and, of course, couldn't talk about uh, her without American Idol, where she got started. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about was that season one, uh, no one really knew what the show was. I think producers, I think everybody didn't know what to expect. And then it became this mega pop culture moment and enter you onto the show and what a difference that must have been. And at that point you knew what this kind of American idol machine was. Um, but tell us a little bit about like how you got there and then, you know, what your experience on idol was like. So it's interesting because I think even on season two, none of us knew what that was going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we walked into this perfect, amazing storm of all kinds of possibilities. And so when I auditioned for American Idol, I was in Nashville. Mm -hmm. I had just graduated from college. I was actually working. uh, Shout out Belmont. Yep. I went to Belmont University. I graduated and I was working at, I was working for a branch of ASCAP, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, doing licensing, funny enough. Um, And I remember, you know, I'm a very type A personality, so I've always had a plan, a plan A and a B, C, D, E if I needed it. But I had already executed my plan B, which was going to law school. And so I had spent my last year in college kind of you know, really prepping for that scenario. Mm-hmm. I had been singing in Nashville for a very long time and singing in multiple bands and doing that in clubs and stuff. And I did not, that is not what I wanted to do for the long term. It was yeah. great when I was in college. It was great in Nashville because that's where I cut my chops and I learned, you know, everything that I know really. Yeah. I learned it in Nashville. And so when American Idol <clears throat> announced the second season and that they announced the cities because that was a really big part of American Idol in the early years. What cities were they going to? Right. And so when they announced that they were coming to Nashville, my friends were calling me and saying, you have to audition. And I was like, nope, like (laughs) I just got accepted into law school. Like I am not doing this audition, you know? (laughs) And what happened was I 
I think I started to experience FOMO before FOMO was a thing, right? And I realized that I had gone to every audition under the moon. You know, I said in an interview once, I would go to the, I would sing at the opening of a Cracker Jack box. It did not matter. (laughs) (laughs) And so this was kind of one of those culminating moments, you know, where I was like, okay, it's one audition, go. Mm -hmm. And at least you say you went and you don't have to worry about and do the what if, shoulda, woulda, coulda, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I, I went and it was such a last minute decision. Oh my gosh. I tortured myself over this last final audition <laughs> of my life. Right. Um, and they were literally, Chris, when I tell you they were downtown Nashville, I lived like a mile and a half away from where the auditions were. Okay. And so I went and it was crazy because the night before it was all over the news and they were showing footage of people sleeping in tents and sleeping bags (laughs) and it was raining. And I was like, I am not doing that. (laughs) And so it was just one of those, you know, it, it truly is for me now that, you know, 20 years later, it's truly one of those connect the dot moments for me because you know, we all come to those crossroads in our lives. And when we're standing at the crossroad, we don't really understand what Mm. is happening, but um, hindsight is a beautiful thing. And being able to reflect back and look back, it's, it's, it's painted like a beautiful, clear picture to me, you know, Mm -hmm. and I went on that audition and the first day I got there, there were so many, there were people everywhere. Yeah. And there were so many people, they were passing out wristbands and telling, you know, if you had a green wristband, you stayed. If you got a a red wristband, you come back tomorrow. And so I missed like four days of work. I told my boss, I've said, I'm going to go to this audition. I'll be right back. (laughs) Four (laughs) days later, she's literally calling me like, are you coming back to work? (laughs) So that's kind of, you know, where I was. And you know, I, at that point, you know, I had kind of reconciled myself to, I'm the kind of person that if I can't do something the way I want to do it, I don't want to do it. You know, mm-hmm. like I had a vision and, and I, I also understand, you know, putting in your time and doing the work. And I've been, I had been doing that work and I'd had a lot of, you know, opportunities come my way that did not pan out a lot of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? False opportunities, if you will. Mm-hmm. Always always learning and teaching moments, right? But people promising things or presenting things that weren't really exactly what they were, said mm-hmm. they were going to be. And so I just kind of felt like, you know what? I'm not just a singer. I'm a lot of things. So let me, there's only two things I ever wanted to do. And that is be a singer and a lawyer and the local newspaper interviewed me when I was in the fifth grade. And I said that. And so I spent the weeks after auditioning for American Idol and getting the golden ticket. I spent a lot of days on my mom's couch Mm -hmm. reading that article crying (laughs) because I'd already enrolled in law school and I was going to have to withdraw. And I'll tell you one of the most torturous things I've ever done in my life was take the LSAT. Oh, I'm sure. And I did not want to take it again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. I can't imagine. 
but you but it paid off because you end up on the show you make it all the way through and like we said it was you know such a wild time of idol because i think um we were talking to i think kelly clarkson's album i think actually came out during the season of Mm -hmm. and i think she came and and sang her first single or whatever from it and um, but none of you, none of the idols had put out records yet at this right. point, but still it was like in everyone's home, it was on every magazine. It was like making the news every it night. Was it was wild. everywhere. When I tell you it was everywhere, we couldn't go anywhere because yeah. we were everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And this is, uh, we were, uh, one of the things we were talking about is I remember on the first season they had showed a lot of clips of like the cast living together in a house, like on the off times. Did you guys also do that or did they scrap that for season two? They kept that for season two. Um, We actually had a house in the Hollywood Hills and Mm. it was, that was fun. That was kind of like our safe space. Um, And our, our place to retreat. Um, that was an interesting time for me because I was 20, I had just turned at 25 in January. Mm-hmm. So I was the oldest contestant, but I had also been living on my own for like four years. Right. And so to all of a sudden go from having my freedom as an adult to being chaperoned <laughs> everywhere, like <laughs> That was a huge adjustment for me. Yeah, no, I can yeah. imagine. Yeah, and but I also imagine though there was like not a lot of downtime during that. No. Like you guys were just constantly doing something. No, somebody asked me once, when did we practice our songs? And I said, in our sleep. Like literally, <laughs> I mean, we were the show was so popular, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we were we were getting up in the morning. We would have five thirty a.m. call times. But we wouldn't get home till like one o'clock in the morning, one thirty, you know. And so I try to explain it to people sometimes, but it's really hard because the thing that we were there to do, we did it the least. Mm -hmm. You know, we were there to sing and we did that the least. Um, But it was a great um, it was a it was a great time. It was a busy time. It was. I always call American Idol Entertainment Bootcamp 101 because everything you need to know about being on stage, being in front of a camera, being a celebrity, you know, being with press and, you know, walking a red carpet, whatever that is, you learn it in this intubated situation. This is so unique, right? Yeah. Um, Even I would say even the American Idol experience that the contestants are getting now is drastically different from oh, yeah. our experience. Um, yeah. But it was um, it was a wild time yeah. for everybody. People were having American Idol watch parties, and you know, it was it was. <laughs> I was. <laughs> thank, I was. Thank you very much. <laughs> it was a wild time for television for people. It really this show really brought people together. Mm-hmm in this weird, unusual way. Yeah. I mean, it really was 
the first time that we were outside of like a political landscape, like voting for people and like the world came together in the same kind of way that they do around politics and the elections and stuff to be like, are you, you know, are you a Ruben? Are you a Clay? Are you a Kim? Like there was, it was like, and the, the, all of the hype and all of the like commercials and the campaigns, it just felt like there was so much. And, and you really, at the time you really started to like, feel like you were part of that person's journey. And so as Mm -hmm. a viewer for you, like, you know, I felt like I was part of your journey with you. And, you know, so it was like so exciting as a fan when you released the first record and when you had like your own music, because you really are like, wow, I watched this whole process happen. You were involved. Yeah. It's like you feel a bit responsible for some of that. And, and, you know, and it's so wonderful. And you were mentioning how today it's so different and it's so true. Um, You know, one of my best friends came from uh, one of the shows and, uh, and we were talking even about like Kelly Clarkson being a mentor now on The Voice and stuff. And it's like, it's really just about the mentors and the judges, like being the personalities and getting mm-hmm. the TV ratings. And, you know, I know Kelly Clarkson was like on a show and they uh, the host said like, can you name one of the most recent idols winners in the last five years? And she, she stumbled. Um, she wasn't able to. Right. And, and that's not because like Kelly's above it or any of that stuff. It's like, no. because they're just churning out the seasons yeah. less than churning out like stars, which is what we were trying to do with you at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what American Idol did was show how much talent is out there. Yeah. You know, forget about the, forget about the 36 people or the 24 people who made it onto television. There are thousands and thousands of people out there who are uniquely talented, right? And that's, you know, the whole industry has changed since then. You know, if Mm -hmm. you think about it, I look at my career and I had an album, a maxi single, another, Mm -hmm. I had singles, actual physical singles, Clay, Mm -hmm. Ruben and I, Kelly, we all had Mm -hmm. albums and physical singles out there. And the landscape has changed so much. I mean, we were still doing radio tours and, Mm -hmm you know, uh, radio shows and those things are, you know, fewer and lesser these days, but you definitely, I don't even know if people even go to radio stations anymore, um, for interviews. And it's just so different. We were in this very interesting time of the industry, but also not just the industry. It, it was television, radio, the digital, a like everything was right there in this culminating moment. Yeah. Yeah. And it also sort of changed, as you mentioned, physical albums and physical singles and stuff. It also started changing music to more of the streaming platforms. And right. then, the, you know, shows like uh, The Voice and Idol and stuff, they started incorporating sales into the voting structures and right. that like... L- catapulted people to another level and you know and it's it's so different now i am curious because you know obviously um you know at some point you're just sort of sailing through because you now are heading to the top three and i have to imagine that behind the scenes because as we said it this there's there's still 
they still want all of these people to go on and be successful, whether you win or not. At that point, I felt like everyone was sort of, you know, Justin Guarini had gotten a deal. I think mm-hmm. Tamira Gray and Nikki both got deals. Yeah. And so at that point, it was like they really were putting that forward. Was there a point in which you had started having those conversations about record deals and you ended up landing at Curb? But was that pre even you being off the show on Idol or was that happening Mm. afterwards? No. And I have to tell you, so season one, they signed the top five. Yeah. Season two, they only signed the top two. Oh. So, but they had first right of refusal on the top three, I think, or five, whatever. I don't, I don't remember that number specifically, but I know that I was kind of in this limbo place with them. And so, um, during the top three, when the top three occurred, when we, when that announcement came down, we all went and met with the Clive Davis in a bungalow Amazing. at Amazing. the Beverly, uh, Beverly Hills hotel. And I just remember, I hope I ha- I hope I can hang on to this memory for the rest of my life. Although I know, you know, it's already kind of fading, but I do remember walking in, he was sitting in a, in a wingback chair it was like walking into the Godfather, right? You know? (laughs) And so, um, he presented me with this, the finale song. And he was like, you know, this is the song that you will sing. You and Ruben are going to both record this song. So Ruben and I both recorded, I think the song was it flying without wings. Mm -hmm. Right. So we both recorded that song and, um, you know, And then basically it's all about the vote, right? What happened? So it's one of those moments where it felt that moment for me really felt surreal. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm a, you know, I'm a huge Whitney Houston fan. So sitting in the room with Clive Davis was just like one of those moments, like this is not even possible. It's not even happening. Right. Um, But during that time, I think, all I ever wanted, and I, I I hate to say this, but I never said, I want to win American Idol. I said, I want to be in the top three. Mm. That's it. You know, it was me, Clay, and Ruben. We had a very yeah. special bond during that time. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I just want to be in the top three with these guys. You know, like that I'm in great company. If either of us win, we, you know, we worked for it. And I, I don't mind coming in second to either one of these guys. Right. And so that's kind of how I felt about it. And I thought about that afterwards. I was like, Oh, I wonder if I, you know, if I had, if I wanted to be it come in first, right. Power of manifestation. Mm-hmm. Right. Did I manifest that top three? Probably. Um, but it was such a, it's one of those moments where when it's over, it's over. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we went on tour. So after I met with Clive Davis, the vote came down the next week, it was Clay and Ruben you know, I didn't go home. That's the only difference with the third place person. You don't really go home because you got to be there next week for the finale. Right. Mm -hmm. So I stayed and then we go on that tour. We went on that tour. We had a very intense tour. And so during the tour, I was constantly calling Fremantle saying, are you going to sign me or are you going to let me go? Mm Because I couldn't do anything. Right. And my goal was to have a record deal by the time the tour ended so I could go straight from the tour into the studio. Yeah. And I met so many people, so many wonderful people on American Idol that I 
pulled out all their cards. I had all these business cards that I saved. And I just started taking calls and, and meetings with people. And um, one of my really dear friends from Billboard, Fred Bronson, he kind of, he and another person kind of really helped me make that connection with Curb Records. And then during the last leg of American Idol, Mike Curb and his wife came to Memphis to meet me and offer me a contract. And so it was, you know, again, if we're talking about manifestation, I got exactly what I wanted. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was really funny for me getting signed by Curb Records after being in Nashville. And, you know, I couldn't even, I couldn't even get in the talent show at Belmont University. So it was like, (laughs) I was like, this is so bizarre. Yeah. And it was right Right down the street from it's right there, Aspop and yeah. Right, uh, I mean, I was in the mix, you know. Yeah. I was in the mix. I had to go all the way to California just to get signed <laughs> by, rec- you know, Curb Records. So, but yeah. whatever, it was great. <laughs> yeah, and and then did you cut the record in Nashville? Um, I okay. So the first record, yes, I did. Right. Yes, I was. I was trying to think. The first album, One Love, um, we. I recorded a lot of it on church on I on music row. Mm-hmm. Yep. A lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I didn't write any of the songs on the first album because I was like, I don't even know if I can do that. Right. Like <laughs> there are lots of really amazing songwriters out there. Let's utilize their talents and their gifts. And so yep. I sung a lot of songs. I mean, I don't know how many are in the vault that are unreleased, but there are a lot of unreleased songs because I, I think I demoed like a hundred songs. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. But then you guys, uh, you know, found magic with the eighth world wonder. Yeah. So eighth world wonder was already recorded. It was kind of a weird, bizarre thing. This young girl, I cannot remember her name, but she had already recorded eighth world wonder and was slated to release it. And so we had to go through this whole process of pulling it off of her record. It was kind of icky, you know, (laughs) it was not, (laughs) it happens. Right. But it was just like, I was like, wow, like she must feel like, not great, you know, about this. And so I recorded that song in Nashville with Sean Shankle and, um, oh, Josh. Um, mm-hmm. He married um, Kelly Pickler. Mm-hmm. Josh, I think his name was Josh. Yeah. And he passed away yes. earlier this year. Yeah. So he did, yeah. that was sad. Um, I had a lot of good times with him. He had a flying squirrel that I used to play with. <laughs> oh my god! <gosh. laughs> it was so funny, and so that song really kind of changed all of our lives, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. And that you know that song had a life of its own before I even came along, you know. And that's kind of what I learned about songs. Um, on my second album, I recorded an Alan Rich, uh, an Alan Rich song that had a life of its own. The song had been around for like 20, 25 years and no one, oh. everybody, everybody had recorded it and it never made it onto anybody's album. That's and so I think it made it onto mine. Yeah. So some of these songs, like artists, we have our own path. Some mm-hmm. of these songs have their own path and it's very interesting, you know, um, when you start to learn the history of a, of a piece of music, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes it just needs the right artist or, you know, whatever. And you got to 
you got to put it together. And, you know, I know, I know sometimes too, they, um, you know, we'll put an artist on it and kind of put it out and put some feelers out on radio and stuff and see how people are responding to it. And then they might bring a different artist in and, and actually that they think can like catapult it to the next. So you were able to do that for, um, eighth world and the, and I'm assuming that you know that now it has like had a resurgence um, because it was nominated for Record of the Year at the Lost Culturistas Awards. My earlier team this and year. I, we we my team and I, we were like, "What is this? Like, what is happening?" And I was like, "I don't know what that is," but that was really that was really cool. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, I it was so funny when we. Like so, I had followed them and um, saw that 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 they nominated that, and I was like, "Well, that's perfect because like it needs to get its dues and it needs Thank to be um, one." It's still on all of the playlists that I have. Usually, after a little too much drinking and we're all standing <laughs> around singing in the in the kitchen, it's like you know we start yeah. going to the start going to the classics and Eighth World mm. Wonder is always one of them that we you, you know start belting out and. Um, and that album was so good too. You had so many songs that, you know, I thought you could have gone deeper with singles on that album. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's like just so, so many good ones, yeah. uh, could have been, uh, I was surprised that your song with clay didn't like, you know, you guys didn't put that out, but I'm sure that there was politics with clay's album. And Yeah. You know, there's so, I, I'm just going to say it because it's true. There's just so there were so many politics. I can't yep. even like to, I, I can't even begin to tell you the politics. And oh, yeah. it was very disheartening for me as an artist and as a young, as a young artist, right? Naive artist who's just thinking about the art and singing and doing what I love to do and living my dream. A lot of stuff got shut down because of mm. politics. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. And it happens to every artist. It is not oh, yeah. unique to anyone. Every artist experiences is, experiences that. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it is the industry, unfortunately. Yeah. The um, And the second single, Wrong, did you, was that like something that you were really excited about bringing out or was, was that a decision by the label? Um, I was excited about that. I think it was a label decision, um, but I was in full support of that. Um, that song, when it comes to music, I am a bit of a chameleon, right? Mm -hmm. I just want to sing good songs, you know, and I just want to sing not just good songs, but songs that I can deliver, right? Mm -hmm. If I can deliver it, I don't care what genre it's in, right? right? Um, and wrong was one of those songs. It was it was out there for me in that Tina Turner space Mm -hmm. where I really got to just be raw Mm -hmm. and, and be me. Right. Um, the lyrics, I love the lyrics of the song, the context of the song. I'm a big lyrics person. So that's Mm -hmm. how I chose a lot of the songs that were on the album. Right. Lyrics are important to me, but I was really happy that because when people when people say the name Kimberly Locke they don't really think edgy right Right. like I'm not some out there on the edge you know right doing some edgy stuff you know 
Um, so I was really happy that they went with that song. That was mm. a, I feel like that was edgy for Curb to yeah. pick that song. Um, but the guy that I worked with, which I can't remember his name, he was super cool. And we really enjoyed recording that song. And then I loved the video. Mm -hmm. I was in London and they sprung like three videos on me of the three. (laughs) This was the only one that I really liked, Um, you know, because we were there and and I don't know. It's just a it was a it was my first time in London and it, everything was just very eighties, you know, could have been was filmed in London. And it's very, like when you look at that video, you're like, wow. (laughs) Right. You know, but whatever, I was young and it was fun and we did it and it was okay. Right. Um, But wrong was one of those, like, I felt like that could have, that could have been a path for me actually, you know, that rock. Like I do love that yeah. part of my voice. And so I was happy about that choice. And I yeah. do, I do like, I do, I still like that song. Yeah. I always loved it. I, um, I felt like it was kind of its own standalone on the record and that mm-hmm. sort of space or that sort of sound and genre. Yeah. And so it was like, I was curious, like, is that who you are or is that maybe where you're going to go next? And then I think like with, um, based on a true story, you, um, you know, had more sort of R&B and you kind of went more of that direction. And so I was like, I wonder if the wrong thing was just sort of one that they threw on because it had likeness to like Miss Independent and, you know, and so, you know, people obviously compared the two and they were like, oh, is Kimberly just kind of going to do the Kelly Clarkson thing? And is that an idol thing? So I was curious if like the label was like, that song's got to be on there. But if you were like, it wasn't really me because you kind of went down more of this that was wrong was always a part of the collective of music. Mm-hmm. It was not one of those things. I had a lot of fun recording that song in the studio. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was different. You know, the thing about recording in Nashville is that Nashville has a sound, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that was one of the things that the label was trying to not, not, com- not combat, but kind of overcome a little right. bit. Um, but even wrong still has a Nashville sound to it, you know? Um, but it was always a solid runner. It was, it was not, you know, cause sometimes things do get added on, as you know, like, yeah. Hey, we need to throw this in there and right. like, oh, okay, doesn't really fit, but yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. It, it's like so, the, yeah. the one that they're like, oh, we, you know, have a promise out that, exactly. that you're going to do this song or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the second record with Curb, um, you had Superwoman, um, which was like a female empowerment and, uh, and then change, which was one again, I mean, eighth world wonders is my favorite, obviously, but, um, but change the way you sing and change is just like mind blowing. So change is me, right? Change is authentically who I am as a singer. Mm -hmm. And what I love about change is that change has those elements of wrong and a throw wonder in it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's this hybrid mix of, of, of me. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I wrote that song. Um, it was one of the first songs that I wrote on the album and I wrote it with Ty Lacey and Dan, his, his writing partner, Dan. And, um, Still to this day, Change is one of my favorite songs to sing live. 
Um, And that song has so much meaning to it. That album, based on a true story, um, the growth for me as an artist between One Love and Based on a True Story is like tremendous. It's almost like it's two different artists, you know? Um, And how many, how long in between did you was the first record. So that's a good question. Um, Eighth World Wonder was released in 2003, mm-hmm. I think, and or 2004. And Based on a True Story came out, I might have this wrong. No, it had to come out in 2007. Okay. So four years, you know, three or four years. And were time. you working One Love throughout that whole time or did you take a break to sort of regroup for this record? I took a break and it took me a year and a half to write cha- uh, to write based on a true story. And so, you know, that's that's the other part of, you know, being an artist. Like there are seasons, right? You have your your writing season, right? Mm-hmm. And then you've got your studio recording season. And then you've got your promotion season, right? And then after your promotion, then you've got your tour or shows, whatever you're doing, your live aspect. And so all of those, those seasons are also very different because Mm -hmm. you go from, you, you, you complete, you sequester yourself, you remove yourself from the public eye while you're working on your next project. Right. And then all of a sudden you come out and you're this, different new person, you know, and and life, and by the way, life is still happening, you know, based on a true story, I was engaged um, and it was not going great. I was not happy. Uh, My manager called me one day and he was like, girl, can you put one happy song on this album? (laughs) And I said, no, I cannot because I'm not happy right now. Like I can't, you want me to write a happy song while I'm not happy? Like that doesn't even make any sense. Right. And so on that album, they threw a song on the album and made me sing it. And, and I was, was like, I literally fought them. I was like, I am not, I'm like, listen to this song. It sounds nothing like it's, you can tell that you are injecting this into the playlist. Right. <laughs> and I was so mad about it. And I was like, you know, I, I, I did it. I had to do it. I, I didn't have a choice, unfortunately, but I did it, mm-hmm. but, and it sucked, but, um, I still don't like the song to this day. Well, I am try- now I'm like trying to think, but I won't, I won't make you say what it is. I'll, I'll have to go I'll listen. Tell you, I don't care. <laughs> I'll even do you one better. What's the the hook is any which way but without you. Oh yeah, yeah. Without you. <laughs> it's called Any Which Way. It was from a movie, The Best Man. Oh. Heather Locklear. It was the ending, what do you call it? It was the song. Or the, the perfect man. The perfect man. Thank you. That's right. The perfect That's right. man. Okay. The perfect man. That should have gone on one love with Eighth World Wonder. Yeah. Not exactly. on based on a true story. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's true. So um, yeah, and then yeah. and then on that record too, you like became the remix queen and oh. started dominating the dance charts with all the songs. Can I just tell you? I was just going to say I have no idea how that happened. <laughs> so what I what I learned was um, the A and R guy at Curb. He was he was the responsible for all of that. So basically from the first album, I went into his office one day. Um, he was like, stop by, we'll go have lunch, blah, blah, blah. And he 
pulled out this maxi, what he called a maxi single. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and I looked at it and I was like, it's all eighth row wonder. Mm-hmm. And he was like, he's like, yeah, it's all 15 different dance tracks. Eighth row wonder. <laughs> I was like, who is buying this? Right. And he was like, Oh, they're going to love it. And mm-hmm. that's what, that's what my, entree into dance world was because mm-hmm. from the first album we did eighth row wonder um was band of gold on the first album or the second i think it was the on second. the second album right yeah. so eighth row wonder was really big on the dance charts mm-hmm. and so when the second album came we did change fall band of gold you know everything got remixed mm-hmm. and i was i had I had a lot of number one dance hits. Yeah. Thank you very much, Dance World. Thank you. Yeah. And how did that sort of impact, if at all, your live show at that time? Like, were you? Oh my gosh! Did you feel it, like you needed to do more of a dancey version, or did um, you? Funny enough, I didn't have a choice because what was happening is I started getting booked for every gay pride across the country, <laughs> and I was like, I don't need a band to do these songs, you know. So. <laughs> I would sing the track and it was great and it worked and they loved it. They ate it up. And Mm -hmm. listen, I mean, that was a wild, wild phenomenon to me. That was wild, but I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Yeah. You were just like you and Kylie Minogue up there. I know. Right. (laughs) I know. When I realized like how big Kylie Minogue was and that I was like on that level at that moment, like they wanted Kylie Minogue and Kimberly Locke. And I was like, what? Mm -hmm. I was like, little old me. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I love it. I love it. It was great. It was really, really great. Yeah. And, and so now you're getting ready to release uh, later, it's in October, you're yeah. releasing Best of Kimberly Locke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what can you tell us? I, I heard that there might be some some surprises, like some maybe some songs from The Vault. Um, yes. Tell us a little bit about what we can expect from this Best of album. Well, first of all, the single that's going to be dropping this week, um, if you pre-save the album, you automatically get this single on Friday. You don't have to wait till October. So this song was written by Andreas Moss and it's actually a duet, which I really enjoyed recording. I recorded it with Dave all day. Um, and Andre, well, Andreas wasn't there, but Dave was there. We met in New York at a studio and, um, that was my first time meeting Dave, even though he had remixed band of gold and it was a number one, his version was number one on the dance chart. So it was really nice to be in the room with Dave and, um, working with him. And it was just great to be back in the studio, you know, recording something different and something new. Um, and so that's going to be fun to, hear and see how people react to this particular song. Um, now keep on falling in love is the name of it. Keep on falling in love. That is the track. Yeah, Yeah. The title of the track. And so the other piece of this is that there are songs that have been in the vault that people know exist, um, that are going to be on this album, but they've never, they, they, they know they exist, but they've never been released. And people have been writing to me for years and I'm like, out of my hands, like I'm zero control. I cannot help you. Right. And so that's going to be interesting to watch 
those songs, you know, be reacted to. Um, I mean, because these, those songs are 20 years old. So they're, are they, are they going to sound relevant? No, they're not, you know, but it's one of those things that they've been in the vault, you know? And, um, I just, I look forward to getting people's take. There's also Dave all day did another remix on a song. That's going to be good. Amazing. I think people are going to, I'm not even going to tell you what that one is, but um, that's going to be, I'm excited about that one as well. So it's like a couple of new things. And then these things that have just been in the vault, man. Amazing. Like, yeah. I and mean, are, did you re-record these ones from the vault or are these the originals? They're the originals. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, getting a phone call from uh, the label saying we're going to do a greatest hits on you is kind of, you know, mind boggling a little bit. Cause you're like, the first thing I said was like, how many hits do I have? You know, the best of, I'm like, do I have enough best of? And I do, I realized when he sent the track list over, I was like, Oh yeah, these are all the songs that people love. These are the best ofs, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And is this, is this with curb? Yeah, it's with curb. Yeah. Oh, okay. Awesome. It's with curb. Yep. Um, well, that's exciting. That's it's cool. very exciting. It was completely unexpected. As you know, in the industry, it's like, you know, there's crickets, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, we're doing this thing. Let's do it tomorrow. You know, <laughs> that's kind of how it was. And I was, you know, pleasantly surprised. I think that I had sent over my new Christmas album that I released last year. Christmas yep. is here. I had sent the music over to Brian and he called me immediately and said, hey, I've been going through your vault and listening to your music. That's how he talks. So I, I always, I love, I love mimicking him. Um, and so we had this conversation. And I was like, great. And so I went into the studio shortly after that, but I recorded this song two years ago. Oh my gosh. So it's like, it's like, we're doing it now. And then crickets. Yeah. Now. And it was like, we're ready to go. Two years later, you know, it's wild. You just got to go with the flow. It's been a weird two years, to be fair. And I think to be fair, yes. Everybody's been trying to figure out how to like get back to some normalcy. This is true. Because I went into the studio right after the pandemic, like right after, like literally, you know, we were still having to wear masks inside and all of that. So it was like, it was a weird. It was a weird time, but we did it. And are you, so are you still spending your time in Nashville or I know right now you're on the West coast, but, mm-hmm. um, is, is Nashville still home no, to you in some way? Not really. Um, I haven't been to Nashville. Nashville hasn't been home for a while. I've been in Connecticut for like the last 12, 13 years, maybe mm-hmm. 14 years. Um, so that has been home, okay. uh, for me. Yeah. yeah. So well, I, I, I have friends and family there. If you haven't been to Nashville lately, it's very different than your Oh my gosh, it's so days. different. Oh my gosh. It's can I tell you one of my first trips back home several years ago, after not being there for a while, I literally was driving around and I was like, I don't even know where I am. <laughs> yeah. I was like I was like, I don't know where anything is. I don't know when this happened, but this is like I don't know Nashville anymore, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. wild. Yeah, you knew it in the the good days. The, yeah. You know, there is no music row anymore, which is so sad. And you know now wow. downtown is all the you know 
big name, the Blake Shelton bars and the Alan wow. Jacksons and the, the these three story bars that like the honky oh tonks gosh. are gone. That right. People, that so we many, love so much. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. Mean, now it's like you go to like Robert's Western World or something because it's the only one that like still has kind of that old vibe of what old Nashville used to be. Wow. Um, but yeah, I'm just down the street in uh, East Nashville. Okay. So I was going to say, are you in Nashville? So you yeah. are. Um, so I, when I was at Belmont, I bought a condo right, right behind Zaney's. That's where I oh. lived. Yeah. That was my um, hood. Yeah, like Eighth Avenue ish, yeah. twelve yep. South Yeah, yep. it's right up um, there. Probably also very different. Since very different. Here. Oh my gosh, very different. There was a beautiful church at the end of the street, and they have completely torn that church down and put like condos there. <laughs> oh, I'm shocked. I mean, they yeah. there are a lot of the old churches like are now hip restaurants yeah. or like other things, but I'm surprised yeah. that they tore it down for condos, but. Yeah. We're getting a lot of condos here. A lot of condos, yeah. Um, well, and then I know you also, you founded your own entertainment company, I Am Entertainment, yeah. which you started by saying that you wanted to do two things when you were a kid, be a lawyer or um, be a singer. And I wonder, is I Am Entertainment sort of feeding this other side and this other passion for you to be so ingrained in the business side of things? It's so funny, right? Um, that's a really great question. I started uh, I Am Entertainment in 2011, and its original intention was just to house everything Kimberly Locke. Mm -hmm. And what happened, I put out a project around that time, Four for the Floor, which was an EP, mm -hmm. dance EP. And I got interviewed by Billboard magazine, and we talked about I Am Entertainment, being independent. And then other artists started reaching out to me. And our tagline is a company for artists by artists. Artists, right. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to help artists really kind of take ownership of what they're doing so that they don't have to deal with the politics that they mm -hmm. know nothing about, really. You know, the yeah. politics are rarely about the artist. You know, it's about what the label needs you to do or people need you to do that are working the music. And so and then, you know, the music, the industry was changing. Right. The, or the industry has changed. Right. So as we have seen over and over and over again with YouTube and social media, you know, you can really foster and hone your own craft and your own following and do your own thing. Right. So that yep. if a label does come to you, you're in such a, a beautiful position to kind of leverage everything that you have to get what you need and what you want. Yep. And so I started consulting with other artists on their projects and just helping point them in the right direction. Right. Because, you know, I find that as an artist, very valuable. Um, and so over the years, it's just kind of evolved into, you know, these various um, things that kind of reveal themselves to us that there's a need for. Right. And so during the pandemic, um, I started doing social media marketing. Mm -hmm. And so now I have a small team um, that work for and with me and we manage a lot of social media accounts, nonprofits, artists, you know, entrepreneurs. Cause what I realize is that entrepreneurs are artists, yep. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I don't want to cheat my, my entrepreneurship out of the creativity. And, and so, yes, I am entertainment is feeding me in so many ways. Um, you know, what we, 
what we do is storytelling. No matter what aspect of the project we're working on, it is storytelling. And I love it. I really, mm -hmm. truly love it. And my team, we have so much fun telling our clients stories. And, and what we love the most is when we tell the story and the client is like, wow, I didn't realize that that was our story. I'm like, yeah, your story is amazing, right? Like, and so when you get to do that and, and be a part of someone else's success, that's really like, I love that. And, yeah. and I, and I still, you know, I'm still creative and, you know, the artists that we work with, um, you know, I'm their music and they're in the music industry. And so it's, it's still like, you know, it's this full circle moment for me. So yeah. I really, I really love what I'm doing. The total, the totality of what I'm doing right now. I really love it all. Yeah. And I have to imagine that you were probably doing a little bit of that even back like an idol because oh gosh, yes. <laughs> you came from Nashville. You, as you said, worked at ASCAP, you went to Belmont. So even if you were, I mean, just being in that sort of circle and on yeah. music row, there was like a feeling back then that like you understood music yes. and understood aspects of the industry that probably a lot of those contestants had never even like thought of or knew right. to think of. Yeah. Um, so I imagine that that started, you know, back then and then has evolved into now sort of this. Yeah. Whole and I was very design. grateful, you know, like one of the things I tell people all the time, it's like, you know, it's not just about what you want to do or what you are doing, right? Everything that I did leading up to American Idol prepared me, whether it was, you know, singing at the Bourbon Street Boogie Bar or BB mm -hmm. Kings or uh, Mayor Bull. When Mayor Bull was down there, they had a beautiful cabaret room mm -hmm. um, and I sung in that room. I learned so much with the guys. I was in a, I, I sung in a band with a group of TSU professors. Oh, they wow. were all music professors. And these guys not only were they they were they talented, but they were so much fun to be on stage with, you know, and they were old school. Right. So I learned so much from being with them and around them and working with them. And so what I realized after American Idol was that everything that I had done up to that point got me to where I was. And when I got to American Idol, I was so prepared, like mm -hmm. I was prepared. I was so prepared. I was shocked, <laughs> but I realized that everything I'd done up until then was in preparation for that moment. Right. And yeah. so that's what I say to people, you know, don't discount where you are and what you're doing because it's not about, it's not even about where you're trying to go. Right. It's about where you are now collecting those tools so that when you get there, you're prepared. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's amazing. Well, yeah. Um, so best of comes out, remind me, October, October 13th. 13th. Um, yes. And then the single keep on falling in love. If you pre, when you pre-save the album, which that link, I don't know if you have that link, but we can get you that link and it's on my Instagram. So yep. we have it there. Once you pre-save the album, you're going to get the single this Friday. And I cannot wait to hear what you think about it. Yeah. I'm very excited. I want a message directly from you. I will definitely, I will definitely <laughs> message you and let you know what I think. Cause you know, I, I have been a fan and, you know, have been, was voting back in the day and yeah. here we are today, you know, we are. you said 20 years, which is like crazy mm. to me because Isn't it? 
as I said, I still like listen to <laughs> Eighth World Wonder like as if it was like a today song that just came right. out last week. So awesome. um, yeah, it's amazing. Um, it was so great to have you here. Where can people continue to follow you and then stay up to date on what's next? Yes. So I am all over the gram, uh, the Instagram, and I am uploading music live singing to YouTube all the time. As a matter of fact, we just uploaded one of my favorites today. So check it out. Um, It's from the Disney Mania project that I did um, back in 2007. Mm -hmm. And it's one of my all-time favorite songs. So we're constantly, consistently uh, uploading videos to YouTube. And I just, I'm so proud of myself. I'm on TikTok and I'm doing it. (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing sometimes, but I'm there. I'm going live on TikTok as well. Um, And I'm doing some cooking and stuff on TikTok because TikTok is kind of that platform that you can kind of do whatever. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you can connect with me on any of those platforms. I am there responding um, and, and listening um, so yeah, I would love to see, uh, people come over and find me and, and tell me what you think. Yeah, well, we definitely will. Um, but thank you again for doing this today. This was so, so fun to just chat with you and yeah. kind of walk down memory lane and, uh, or down music row as it might be. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, and yeah, it was just, it was such a pleasure to meet you. You're just, thank you. you've got such a good energy and oh, you always Chris. did. And it's great to see that you're still the same, the same thank girl you. that we all met on Idol 20 years ago. Hey, that's all I know how to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much. I appreciate this. Yeah. Thank you. And, and for all of you listening, don't forget to rate and subscribe so that you never miss an episode of The Gist. You can follow me at CM Vetrano. I'm on Instagram, threads, Twitter, TikTok, all of the things. Um, but until next week, make sure that you check out Kimberly's new single and we will talk to you soon. Bye.